You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to the special Max Pacioretty trade edition of Absent Minded. Uh, my name is Jared Book. Uh, I'm here uh, with two of my colleagues, and, and really, you know, we don't talk about what goes on behind the scenes very often at Eyes on the Prize, but the two people who are with me today uh, are the reason why uh, Eyes on the Prize had something to publish uh, at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning uh, on uh, the morning of the trade. Uh, joining me today is, is Scott Matla. Scott, how are you? Wonderful. Hopefully no one for the rest of the offseason is getting traded at 1 o'clock in the morning, so... Uh, not bad otherwise. Can't complain. And also joining us is uh, Naviko Hitotsubashi. Naviko, how are you? I'm pretty good. Well, you know, trade aside. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Scott's name were on the articles, but if if uh, Naviko wasn't around, there would be no one to publish or edit those articles. And uh, her name might not be on there, but she was just as important uh, while I was sleeping. And I'm not ashamed to admit that. Um, well, I was uh, so it was really a lot of luck going on in that. <laughs> I was sitting in my chair. I was between games of NHL 18. I'm like, all right, I'm going to look down at my phone and scroll through Twitter. And the first thing that pops up is like this big trade banner from the Canadians. And I'm sitting in my chair and I just went, son of a God. All right, guys, Please. I got to go. I got something to do. Then <laughs> I just start pinging everyone in the channel because there's things that have to be done immediately, which luckily... Eyes on the prize is a well-oiled machine at this point, so it's second nature. Nobody ever sleeps. <laughs> yeah, we're lucky. I'm up Yeah. No, I was literally getting into bed. Like my computer was off. Like I was legitimately getting ready to go to bed, and I was the same. Like my phone went off, and I was like, "What on earth?" <laughs> yeah. You know, you, we we laugh a lot on the podcast about. Uh, how far and how spread out we are. Uh, you know, we have Patrick in Europe. Uh, we have people all over uh, the U.S. and Canada. And you know, when it does help is when some people are you know two or three hours behind Eastern time uh, and and can step up and uh, cover things at all hours of the day. And obviously, you don't expect it uh, to happen. Uh, I woke up. My wife actually woke me up uh, at six o'clock in the morning, and she's like, "Did you check your phone?" And normally that means one or two things. And, you know, I I was expecting a patch-ready trade, but I wasn't expecting it that day. So I'm like, no, why? What happened? Did, did somebody call? You know, is everything okay? And like, patch-ready was traded. I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. Uh, that, that's, you know, that's okay. And then my mind immediately goes, okay, for what? To who? And she's like, Vegas. And she mentions, you know, Nick Suzuki and Thomas Tatar in a second-round pick. And my initial instinct was like, oh, that's better than I was expecting. And then my my second thought after, oh, that's better than I was expecting, was I hope somebody published this on Eyes on the Prize last night um, <laughs> as, as as a deputy managing editor would, would, would default to. Uh, and sure enough, um, when I wake up, everything was, was there as a, as a oil, well-oiled machine we are. Uh, but yeah, it's, that's a little insight of the behind-the-scenes look at how we cover a big trade. And, you know, we I don't think any of us were surprised maybe the timing was surprising uh you know you don't expect to trade at one o'clock in the morning but you know 
the Canadians could not have had Max Pacioretty at that golf tournament. I think that's the biggest reason why it was done when it was. I think that there was a soft deadline in place, and I think that they wanted to avoid all of that awkward situation and really have the golf tournament be the start of the new season as opposed to, hey, Max, did you ask for a trade? Hey, Jeff Molson, did you, he asked for a trade? Hey, Mark Bergevin, are you going to trade him? What's your comment on Alan Walsh? None of that was asked. There was some talk, obviously, of whether he asked for a trade or not, but uh, I, I think that it was the restart that the Canadians wanted and quite frankly they needed yeah and at the golf tournament if anyone asked mark bergevin anything he just didn't answer questions he just stood there and flexed over and over again that's why he had all of his shirts there because they'd ask him a question he would flex and rip his shirt and need a new one that was just his entire <laughs> plan for the day hey mark how about that patriotty trade and he just you know like hulk hogan flexes and the shirt just like pops off like a cartoon so uh, but like you said it's probably the right time for a reset the timing's weird, but there's no way with him getting traded that they could have gone through all of these terms. Like, he had his own tournament where everyone was there. Druin had his golf tournament. I believe it was either Nick Delorier or Charles Houdon had their golf tournament, and everyone was there. And it's like, this is the one, though, that it's not a player tournament. It's the team tournament, and having him there would have been extremely weird overall, I think. Yeah, I think so. And you know, for for those who who don't necessarily know, the the golf tournament is really the start of the Canadians' training camp. Uh, the media there, even if they don't cover the team on a day to day basis, they all go to the golf tournament. So, whereas some media members were at the Patch Ready Golf Tournament at the Durand Golf Tournament, um, everybody was at the Canadians' golf tournament. That's that's how they they do it. And um, I was at rookie camp. Uh, the day before at the uh, the rookie tournament, and uh, there was this like unannounced private scrimmage basically between the the Leafs and Habs rookies on the Monday, and uh, all of the media people when when they were asking like, oh, can we come watch the game? Uh, the Habs were like, yeah, sure, you can watch the game, but there's no media availability. There's going to be no staff on hand uh, at this rookie camp, uh, so you're just going to be there to watch basically. I don't think that they knew a trade was going to happen. I didn't get any inkling of it. Um, normally, you can get a kind of a sense that something's going on, but there was nothing uh, on the, the weekend leading up to the trade. But yeah, I mean, it was uh, one of those crazy days. And uh, I, I guess we'll, we'll start with, uh, with, with, with Navico. I mean, when, when you think back to the trade and, and Max Patch Ready and, you know, the return, uh, I guess what, what do you, what do you, look at like what's what's your thought of of the whole trade situation well i mean i'm a huge patriotty fan so i'm really sad that it had to happen at all but that being said i think considering the situation that bergevin put himself in i think it was a it was actually a surprisingly good trade um you know he's not in our conference he's not um you know, we actually we got a legitimate piece back in, or at least a prospect back in Suzuki. And I don't know a whole mu- a whole bunch about Tatar, but he seems seems to be a decent piece. Like he's not great, but when like when you put him in with a bunch of other pieces, it's it, it seems to me to be a decent trade. Um, but <laughs> I'm I'm sad it had to happen at all. <laughs> I'm kind of in the same vein there. I've been in every podcast we've recorded, every video I've done, 
every article I've written surrounding anything. It's like, I didn't want him to go. And especially when I look at the deal he ended up signing in Vegas, I go, that's something this team easily could have done. But at the same time, it's like, I'm happy for him because he's obviously been one of my favorite players on the team for years now. He gets a fresh start with this new and exciting franchise and seeing all the photos and the glam and the glitz around him arriving today, he's got his picture blown up on, you know, uh, casinos across Las Vegas. He's flying around the city and visiting and everything. And it's like, I'm happy he gets to go somewhere. He doesn't have to have the weight of the, sh- of the world on his shoulders. He doesn't have to be Atlas yeah. holding up the world anymore. Yeah. He gets to be the guy who goes out there and scores 35 goals and will probably instantly become a fan favorite out there as well. The circumstances suck, and there's really no other way to put it than that. It's an un- it's an unfortunate situation that what happened. It's I don't care who said what. It's he wanted to stay, and I feel like that much was obvious. But the return, Nick Suzuki is an incredible prospect. Uh, Thomas Tatar is a solid NHL player, and the second-round pick is for a team that's retooling or rebuilding or restocking or whatever the hell they're doing. Overall, I can't be upset with the return we got back either for him. It seems like a win for all the parties involved. So, And I'm happy because he's moving closer to me. <laughs> <laughs> Vegas is such a short distance from Salt Lake City. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think that we all agree uh, that there's no reason for the Saiga to go the way it did. But I don't think we can argue that it went as well as it possibly could for everybody involved. Uh, Max Pacioretty gets to go to somewhere he wants to go and will be appreciated. Mark Bergevin got a good return, even though everybody knew he was going to be traded. Um, you know, you could argue that he got more for Pacioretty than the, the uh, Carolina Hurricanes got for Jeff Skinner. And obviously there's an extension there. Yeah. So Vegas knows what they're dealing with. It's not a rental. But at the same point, I mean, when, when the Jeff Skinner trade happened, a lot of us were like, oh, if that's the mark for Pacioretty, no wonder he hasn't been traded yet. Uh, but I feel that Mark Bergevin was smart. Well, I don't think I've ever said that before. Uh, Mark, Bergevin, <laughs> Mark Bergevin was smart in the sense that he knew for him to get the best return on Max Pacioretty, uh, that he had to go with a contract extension. And if you know that you're not going to re-sign a player anyway, for whatever reason, we don't know what he was thinking or why he didn't want to sign an extension. But when you do that, you want to maximize what you return. And it doesn't matter to Montreal Canadiens if he signs in Vegas or if he goes to free agency. So let Vegas talk to him. Let LA talk to him like they did the draft reportedly. And get the players that you want back uh, as opposed to settling for you know, third and fourth round picks, and then Vegas ends up re-signing him anyway. Uh, and then yeah. it just looks even worse. The Jeff Peachy trade is a, an example of that. Uh, I think if Edmonton knew that Montreal was going to re-sign him, Montreal probably would have been a little bit more uh, willing to trade a little bit more than what they did. So it, it, when it comes down to that, I, I think that all sides are are winners because, you know, Max Pacioretty was, it's better for everyone that he did not play a game for the Montreal Canadiens this year. Because now you get to turn the page. As much as we don't want to turn the page, uh, you you get to, and it's a new start, and it's it's good for everybody involved. And uh, I guess we could just hope for a Vegas Nashville Western Conference final again, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, I would just delete my Twitter account. And imagine then 
capitals again, and you've got. Oh God! Or, or too bad against Eller. Oh man! Or, or Tampa, Tampa Bay, who yeah. has McDonough and yeah. Sergachev, or Toronto, yeah. who is just Toronto. I was gonna say it's There's either no, Nashville no, or Vegas versus Toronto in the final, and Hab's Twitter just eats itself alive. Oh God! <laughs> oh, you know, oh, my skin's it's, it's, crawling it's thinking fun. about it. <laughs> It's fun to laugh about. It. Honestly, it is uh, because the trades are done. There's no reset button. There's no going back. Uh, as much as we would, you know, as much as it hurt, literally hurts, to look back at that 2007 draft uh, when you know I don't even have to mention the names involved. We all know who they are. Um, Yannick Weber. Yeah, Yannick Weber. Yeah, you know, the, the guy, the guy that Nashville signed just so they didn't have to repurpose all those shade jerseys. Um, but, uh, uh, no, no, that, that's me. That's, that's, uh, I don't want to, insult. it might be that, accurate though. Offensive. We don't know. So <laughs> I think I mentioned the story of the past about the, the Montreal Expos. I, I know I mentioned the past, so I'm going to keep it short, but what they, they, they traded Dennis Martinez uh, or they let him go to free agency. And then like not even two weeks later, they traded for Pedro Martinez. Um, and, and, and at that point there was like this running joke that they were like a really cheap team and like, oh, they just didn't want to change any of the names on the jerseys. Uh, and that's why they did this trade because it was, it was controversial at the time. Obviously, you know, Montreal media has a great track record of saying what trades are good and bad. Um, and obviously Pedro <laughs> Martinez did have a great career in Montreal, but yeah, that's, but no, I mean, and I, I don't want to be that mean to some, a member of the, or a potential member of the Price family. Um. You know, uh, is Yannick still dating Carrie's sister? Is that yes. still a thing that's happening? Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, no. I I, I love Le, Le Jeune Weber, um, and I think most most Canadian fans have a, a soft spot for him. Uh, the the Swiss Army knife play forward in defense, but no. I mean, there's there's no you can't reset the trades. You have to move forward, and that that's kind of my attitude. It's like you know, yes, could I be depressed about the past? For the next, you know, three months, four months, yeah, of course I could, but there's no point in that. You know, sports are supposed to be fun for everybody involved, and you know, yes, there's a lot of people who still take uh, those trades to heart uh, and and took away the fun out of the game. But you know, I, I'm just the kind of person that's like, you know what? There, there's no point in in being upset about it. Just let's just move on because I would have been more upset if we're talking about Patrick trade. I mean, we talked about I think the first episode. Of absent minded, um, yeah. of back patch ready, you know, at the draft, that's what the big rumors were. And every week it could have been talked about again. And it just felt like every week we're like, oh, we don't really want to talk about this. We just want it to end. Like, have us have some news to talk about. And now we finally do. Um, but I'm just happy it's over. And it seems like it's the best case scenario for honestly everyone involved. Uh, Max Patrick seems happy. His family seems happy. Um, Mark Bergevin seems happy with with the result, and I think it's it's a considering the circumstances, it was a very good trade for Mark Bergevin. Uh, I don't think anybody would have expected as good of a return as he did. Whether Nick Suzuki plays center or not, and oh God, please, I don't want this discussion again for the next seven years. But <laughs> but you know, please, please, uh, please. It, that would be the perfect icing on the cake, wouldn't it? If we just, you know, fast forward to the year 2025, Carey Price <laughs> returns from injury, Shea Weber is hurt again, and will a first-round pick of the Montreal Canadiens play center or wing? No, uh, these I are the days know. of our lives. No. Yeah. You know, uh, but no, it's uh, – no, honestly, it's we, – we joke about it. And, you know, I don't think any of us 
actively are, are hoping for things to go badly for Montreal Canadiens, uh, despite what some of our people in the comments might say. But I'm just happy it's over. Um, you know, these people are the players are people. We treat them like their numbers and, and things like that. But you know, they have families, they have lives uh, that that need to be sorted out, and that goes both ways. And um, you know, ongoing sagas are, are no fun for anybody. And uh, I think that it's just it's just a good thing that it's over. And we can finally talk about it, put it to rest, and uh, you know, not think about Max Pacioretty until November tenth. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's the th- and it, the hardest part for me is that it's like being a fan of the Canadians. I got into hockey right around twenty ten, right around the time that Miracle Run to the uh, Eastern Conference Finals happened, and. A big part of that was Brian Gianta was on the team. He's from Rochester, where I'm from, and it's like, cool. And I fell in love with Mike Camilleri, and Subban came up, and there was always this other guy that was Max Pacioretty, who was, you know, he has all this stuff going on, and he's got this and this. And then, you know, I kind of followed the team a little bit, but not in depth. And then the next thing I knew about him was it was that someone had broken his neck on a dirty play. And I remember watching that, and it's like, Oh, come on. And, you know, nothing happened. And then, because I said it in the video I did for Eyes on the Prize this week, that if Max Pacioretty had played on that 2011 Canadians team, they would have beat the Bruins in round one. And the Bruins wouldn't have won the Stanley Cup. And Vancouver wouldn't have burned itself to the ground. And Brad Marchand wouldn't have a misspelled championship tattoo and all this other dumb stuff. But <laughs> it's it's been quite a road for him through the Canadians organization, even from how he ended up here in the first place. Craig Reve going to San Jose, San Jose sending back a first round pick that became Max Pacioretty, him choosing to play in the AHL and all this other stuff. It's been quite the journey for Max Pacioretty to this point. Yeah. And I mean, I've written about this before, but like, I mean, I was sort of in a similar boat. Like I, I haven't been a hockey fan as long as I've been aware of hockey and, um, I was first made aware of hockey by the, I mean, the reason I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan is because the people who got me into hockey are from Montreal. Um, and like, I was friends with them far enough back that she swears that she's told me stories from when Eller and Pacioretty were rookies together. Um, I don't remember this, <laughs> but that's how far back, like she'd been talking about the Habs to me, whether or not I was paying attention. And and right when I was starting to pay attention, I was in college in Boston, and I'm from New York City, so hating Boston sports teams is kind of <laughs> what, what I do. Um, <laughs> so, like, being in Boston, being a Habs fan, and then having that hit happen, like, he, so he's been kind of in my consciousness of hockey since the very, very beginning. So it's it's really weird for me. To sit here and go, the team that was the team that I got into hockey with is largely not here anymore. It's a completely different team, and it's and it probably shouldn't have been a completely different team. I mean, when I when I first started loving hockey, the bright lights of the Canadians' future were obviously Carey Price, but then PK Subban, Lars Eller, Max Pacioretty, the Galleys, like guys who I mean, Brendan Gallagher is the only guy standing from that group. Um, I mean, except for price, obviously. So it's really weird to look back and, and realize that like the entire team that I was expecting to root for, for way longer than I have is, is gone. 
Yeah, and I, I think that you know I'm I'm both older than than both of you, and also been in Montreal uh, my whole life. So yeah. uh, you know it, it's kind of a, a I can go back to to Saka Koivu and the the way that Montreal media and fans look at Saku Koivu now, as opposed to the day they did when he signed with the Anaheim Ducks, is night and day. He's more appreciated. There's people who feel like he's they appreciate for him for what he was and not what he should have been or what he wasn't. And I can't help but think that there's similarities between Koivu and Pacioretty. Uh, obviously, the teams that Patch Reddy played for were much better than the teams that Koivu played for. Uh, that's just a fact. Uh, they both had captain. Obviously, Koivu was a lot long captain for a lot longer than, than Patch Reddy was. But I, I can't help but think that in a few years, or when Patch Reddy is retired, or when Nick Suzuki is you know taking passes from Jesperi Kotkaniemi in the Stanley Cup playoffs. That at some point we'll look back and be like, you know what, Max Pacioretty and you know PK Subban and everybody else, they they were good players. They were good for the city. They were good for the Canadians. And you know the fan base is very divided on both of those guys. There's people who still, for whatever reason, don't like PK Subban, and that's fine. You you could not like PK Subban if that's your choice. I don't understand it personally. I don't understand why people don't like Saku Koivu or didn't like Saku Koivu. And I don't understand why people don't like Match Pacioretty. I don't understand the hate, but I think that time will heal those wounds. I feel like Max Pacioretty down the road will finally get appreciated for what he was and not in the minds, eyes, eyes and minds of many for what he wasn't. And I think that that's the best thing that could happen going forward in that he meant a lot for this city. You know, if you ask any Montreal Canadiens fan of a certain age, uh, you ask them about Max Pacioretty and Zidane Chara, and yes, the hit is what they remember. But does everyone also remembers the goal that led to that that feud when Pacioretty scored the overtime winner and just shoved Chara? Uh, you know, everyone remembers that part of it. Um, you know, there's seminal moments in Montreal Canadiens history that Max Pacioretty was a part of, and that will never go away. Same for you know Mike Camilleri and. You know, Brian Gionta didn't have that many, but, you know, you can't look back at that Ottawa comeback without Brian Gionta in yeah. it. So it, there, there's there's things that I, I feel that nostalgia works in funny ways. And I think that a lot of the emotions surrounding the trade uh, now will eventually calm down. And I can, I can just hope that one day Max Pacioretty is looked at by all Canadians fans uh, like Zach Koivu is now. And is given the credit for what he was, and not necessarily for what he he wasn't or what people thought he should have been. And I think that's the hardest part is that a lot of people have, because opinions today at least seem to be so hard to change for people. In that people in their minds like, oh, the Canadians weren't winning. You know, they went to the Eastern Conference Final in 2014, and then they lost in the second round in 2015. And then they didn't make the playoffs, and they lost the first round. And they look at the guys in the leadership core there. And because of the whole captaincy thing, Patchetti is the one who immediately gets that bullseye painted on him. That C might as well just be a bullseye on his chest. And that's unfair to him. It's like, well, he wasn't a playoff performer and he wasn't this and he wasn't that. It's like 2013, Carey Price played injured and put up a sub like 900 save percentage and they were terrible. 
2014, he won the first run series against Tampa Bay and then against Boston played well with Thomas Vanek and God, I'm drawing up was Deharnay a center then? I'm assuming so, but he was, (laughs) but then it's like, you look at what he did over the course of all these regular seasons and it's like, okay, the playoffs aren't good, but is that more the sum of the parts and the coaching staff at the time than one person? This is a guy who carried, you know, offense on a regular basis. 30 goals, 35 goals, 39 goals, all these other things. And it's like, can we not appreciate what he does there without attaching a label that I'm pretty sure has been disproven uh, plenty of times in our own comments? And it hurts that it's like, oh, well, he never won in the playoffs, so he's not going to be remembered here. It's a different era now. The Montreal Canadiens aren't losing less than 10 games in a season and going into the playoffs and steamrolling over everybody and winning Stanley Cups on a regular basis. The league's deeper. It's harder to win now. But yet, Pacioretty was third, was money for 30 goals outside of last year, which had a number of factors in it. It's so hard to see what they did over the course of their career until it's too late and it's later on, which is what you were saying. And hopefully, as this goes on, because he's probably going to light it up in Vegas this year. He's back with Gerard Gallant. He's going to probably play with Paul Stasny and other guys. He's going to score 30 goals, barring any serious injury. And I think that's going to have a lot of people go, well, why didn't he do that, you know, the previous year in Montreal? And it's like, because the, ah, it's like, understand, he did do that a lot. If you, if recency bias is a thing, understand he did that. And now he's not here. So unfortunately we lost that, but appreciate that he did that for years as part of our team. And he wasn't one dimensional either. He wasn't just some goal scorer. I mean, he was, he became very excellent defensively too. And that's, that's something that I don't think, I mean, people talk about it, but I don't think he's widely given the kind of recognition for how, how good of a two-way player he became. No, he played a lot of penalty kill minutes, and I can, I know we're reminiscing about stuff in the past year, and there's a moment that exactly sticks out in my mind. It's they were playing the Rangers, and he and Thomas Placanitz are on the penalty kill, and he chips it past, and they go back, forth, back, and forth, tic-tac-toe until one of them buries it, and it's like... He played the power play. He played the penalty kill. He played three on three and all these things. He was not just a goal scorer. He was probably the most trusted forward on that team, not named Placanitz for the longest time. And now that he's gone, they need someone to fill that void. And it's going to be interesting to see who steps into that this upcoming year. Yeah, I, I, as soon as you mentioned uh, shorthanded goal New York Rangers, I knew exactly what goal you were yeah. going to. I remember exactly where I was when that happened. Uh, it was, I think it was even a five on three. That's hilarious. Yes. Um, yes, I think it was. On, on that goal. Uh, the Canadians had a two on oh with, with Flickinets and Pacioretty, uh on that. All kinds of. I knew exactly where you're going with that goal. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where the, you know, you, you see the C on the Montreal Canadiens jersey. And, there's unrealistic expectations because everyone thinks about Jean Beliveau and, you know, Bob Gainey and, you know, Henri Richard and Yvonne Cornoyer and Maurice Richard and the history of, of the Canadians past all wore that sea. But, and again, this is kind of me coming at it from somebody who, who kind of lived through it. The Montreal Canadians, in a span of you know, five, six seasons uh, went through 
seven captains. <laughs> and, and, you know, they, they had Guy Carvino, Kirk Muller, Mike Keane, Pierre Turgeon, Vincent Dalfus, and Saku Koivu. And that's only between 93, 94, and 99, Good 2000. God. And all of them, all of them between, uh, from Carvino to Dalfus. So Carvino, Muller, Keane, Turgeon, and Dalfus were all traded within not even a year of, of the last one. So the Canadians, and yes, you know, Carvino won a cup in 93, and that's Muller won a cup in 93. They were all part of that team. But, you know, we have to get out of this mindset that something is owed to the Montreal Canadiens and that the captain of the Montreal Canadiens will be the best player in the NHL. And if the Montreal Canadiens aren't the best team in the NHL, it's a disservice and uh, it's, it's, you know, Toe Blake would roll over his grave. And it's stuff like that is just so short-sighted. And, you know, it hurts the players to be here. And it's attitudes like that when people say that the Montreal Canadiens have the smartest fans in the NHL. It's mindset like that that I'm like, eh, I don't know if they do. Uh, you know, it's 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 just like we're not in the 60s anymore. We're not in the 70s anymore. This it's it's a different world, and it's it's frustrating as somebody who you know. Yes, the Canadians won two Stanley Cups in my lifetime. You know, I was young, but they won two Stanley Cups in my lifetime. But you know, there's uh, uh you know, it's not the the way of the world anymore. You know, everyone likes to laugh at Toronto and 1967. And there is a very real possibility that Montreal will go longer than Toronto has without winning a Stanley Cup. It's just a reality. It's just there's 31 teams in the NHL. There's probably going to be 32 by, by you know, within the next three years. Teams are going to go a while without winning a Stanley Cup. And history doesn't mean anything anymore. And all, all you have is, is what's in front of you. And, you know, I, I feel like people are like, oh, Andre Markov doesn't deserve his number retired because he never won a cup. Sakakov doesn't deserve his number retired because he never won a cup. No, nobody wins cups anymore. You know, it's you know, if Patrick Waugh didn't win those two cups, would his number still be up there? It, you know, you can make the argument Carey Price. Will Carey Price's number be up there when all said and done? It probably should be, but it's it's just you know, the New York Yankees went through a dry spell in in their the you know, 80s and 90s, uh, up until 90, 96, 95, 96. 96. 96. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and they, they retired. Because that's when I became a baseball fan, I remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. And, and, you know, they, they made the playoffs in 95, and then in 96, they won the World Series. Don Mattingly never played a playoff game for the New York Yankees, but his numbers retired by the New York Yankees. Because he was that generation for New York Yankees. He was their Saku Koivu. And, you know, they're a team that has won more championships than the Montreal Canadiens have. They're the only team to have done that. And if they can appreciate that, then why can't the Montreal Canadiens do that? And we're kind of getting off topic here, but I, I feel like just it's, it's frustrating that we judge everything on the past when the past is not realistic at all. <laughs> Short of winning a cup, like you were mentioning all the things that the other players the other captains, the, the the captains that we look back on and think of as great, 
Like short of winning a cup, what did Pat, what what hasn't Patch already done? He was always the best player on the team, with the possible exception of Price and and Subban. Um, he was always certainly the best forward on the team. Um, he always was good for at least thirty goals, except for a couple of seasons with very very reasonable um, asterisks. Um, you know, we know he's been good for the community with um, with I like the was it the MRI machine or anyway, some, he donated a lot of money or helped um, provide some really important equipment for the, the hospitals. So, like we know he's done stuff for the community and for the Habs and for the city of Montreal, kind of like Subban um, and, and, and still, and, and been a great player on the ice. And what else, what else could he have done in the long run? Really? Like he did everything that was under his control. Yeah, and it's like we look at the NHL now. It's not – there's more teams. The talent is better. Teams are built in a different way. You can't ask much more for a guy who goes out there and tops 30 goals in a year if you don't surround him with the other pieces a team needs. It's like having the elite goalie, but no one can score goals. What are they going to do, you know? And it's it's tough because it's – yeah, okay, so he didn't win a cup or they only made the Eastern Conference Final once while he was on the team, but – that's not really all on him. The team is made up of, what, 22 other players as well? Everyone's got to have a part in getting there from the coaching staff all the way down. Just to pin it on one person for not doing it is unfair. That's not saying his number's going to go up in the rafters or anything like that, but at the same time, hopefully that people learn to appreciate exactly just how good he was for the team. Yeah, I think that you know at the end of the day, you know, should the Montreal Canadiens be in the situation that they're in right now? I think most of us would probably say no. But the the future does look brighter. Uh, and it's cliche to say, but it does. Than it did, you know, two weeks ago. A month ago. Uh, two years ago. It, you know, after the uh, the Subban Weber trade, uh, things were, were probably, um, you know, not very rosy in terms of future prospects and, and things like that but you know the semantics about rebuilding or retooling uh mark bergevin said on rds is that he sees rebuilding as just cutting your roster off at a certain age and getting rid of everyone who's over that uh, and that's not what he's doing but if you look at rebuilding as planning for the future and giving yourself the best chance to succeed going forward that's what he's doing and you know yes you know if you would have asked any of us in, in 2014, if if we saw this was the place that everything would be happening and this is the place we'd be, we'd probably be like, oh no. But at the same time, it's it's not as bad as it seems either. And you know that that goes for a lot of things. It's, it's never as bad as it looks. It's never as good as it looks. Um, and and that's kind of where we are right now. But uh, I, I said it before, and I just I'm just happy that it's it's over with. Everyone's happy. Uh, Max Pacioretty could have his Lars Eller moment. <laughs> Um, uh, I'm sure that would make all of us happy yeah. uh, going forward, and uh, eventually, maybe one day, the Montreal Canadiens will have that moment as well, and uh, everything will be happy. Um, but you know, it, given the circumstances, it was as good as it could have gotten. Should it ever have gotten to that point, probably not. But you know, it's done now, and that's good for everybody. Speaking of moments, it's it's like as I'm, I've been thinking of things all the week. It's like okay, you know. Because I did my video and I was like, and I realized I talked about a bunch of different things in it. And then I went, I forgot this moment and I forgot the time this. It's like the time 
Max Petrotti had a hat trick despite missing two penalty shots in the same period, <laughs> and he still ended up with a hat trick. And I go, it's like, how in God's name that <laughs> it's it's little things like that. It's like he has the most overtime winning goals in Canadians history. And for people who say that he's not clutch or the other thing, it's like, I'm just going to wave at this stat in Canadians history. Like, look at yeah. the people on that list and realize at the top of it is Max Pacioretty. Like, there's so many different th- – and even stuff off the ice. Like, when he went to Boston for, to promote a cheeseburger and people were like, oh, I don't like Max Pacioretty, blah, blah. It's like, oh, hey, it's Max Pacioretty. Ah, oh, damn it. You know, it's little, <laughs> it's little things that made me appreciate him. He's not exactly the most – exciting sounding guy in the world but even on like 24 ch who was the one you know behind the scenes pulling pranks on suban or other people it was patch or prust or gallagher or gauchen but regardless he's someone that i think is going to be he had a lot of moments in recent history that are worth you know remembering and talking about it's like i could go on all night but i think jared probably wants to get some sleep at some point but uh, I don't know if that's just me or not. Yeah, no, I mean, for, for Pacioretty, it was always, he was, like, he, he scored big goals. He was their best scorer, but he was always kind of under the radar. Like, he was just under the radar, I think, for a lot of people. And, I mean, maybe that's part of why people don't appreciate him, just because he wasn't big and obvious and flashy, but but he was he was always dependable. And And one of my favorite things was always, knowing that number 67 was good for the first goal of the season against the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I mean, it just, yeah, the little things, and they add up, and they're important. And, I, I mean, in my opinion, he always, he was always there for all of those little things. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned, you know, the clutch and, and everything like that. One of the criticisms that Patrick has is that, oh, he, he scores a lot of empty net goals. What does that mean exactly? It means that He's you're on winning by one. <laughs> exactly. It means that you're winning by one or two goals. Uh, the other team is trying to score desperately. He's on the ice, a, and he's scoring the goal that's putting the game out of reach. Yeah. So, what is the definition of clutch exactly? If it's not that you're trusted in those situations, and even Max Domi, the same thing with Max Domi is like, oh, you know, five of his goals are empty net goals. It's like, okay, that's fine. What does that mean about the player? Does it mean that Max Domi is a 30-goal scorer? No, it doesn't mean that. But it doesn't mean that it's irrelevant either because it, it does have value. And, you know, there's there's so many things about Pacioretty and, and Koivu and, you know, this generation of, of Montreal Canadiens, they, you know, we don't necessarily have the the cups to sit back and enjoy. So the little moments in getting there, getting to the Eastern Conference Final, getting to... Uh, overtime of Game 7 against the Boston Bruins, uh, winning a round or two in the playoffs. That's Those are the moments that stick out to a generation of Habs fans. And it's it's, it's a different measuring stick, but it's it's still they still have value. And Max Petrini will be missed in the community. He'll be missed on the ice. And I think that he'll um, he might even be missed in the locker room. Remember that the, t- the, the team picked him as captain. Um, but you know what? This this team is also now in a situation where they don't have to win this year, and that could be good as well. Look what happened to Vegas. Vegas last year. Exactly. You know, they they weren't expecting. They had a us against the world mentality, and I'm not saying that's going to happen in Montreal. 
But when you have Carey Price and you have a bunch of players who have a lot of pride um, and who have talent, whether you know whether you like them or not, they they have talent on on Montreal. There's potential there. Uh, they, it could happen. I'm not I'm not saying to expect it because then you'll be uh, looking at disappointment. But there, but you know, it, it could happen. And I I don't think they were as bad as they were last yeah. year. And I don't think they're as bad as they'll look this year uh, either. And you add to the fact that they have, you know, four top 50 prospects with more picks on the way. And that's a positive thing. You know, I, I said it in the comment section uh, after the trade. First, you get bad by accident. Then you get bad on purpose. And then you get good. And that's that's where the Canadians are right now. They're in the bad on purpose, quote unquote. And that's how you, you build a team in the National Hockey Absolutely. League. And this is just part of that growing trend that Bergevin has had, whether he admits it or not, is he's got another top prospect in the system. He's got another draft pick. He's got a regular NHL guy that can come in the lineup. That's what he was looking for. Is it Gabe Velarde and Tyler Toffoli? Maybe not quite, but it's still a pretty damn good return for a team that shouldn't be looking to, you know, that I don't think was in the position to demand a King's ransom for anyone, but what they got is still a pretty damned good return. So, Yeah, I'm excited about Suzuki. It was very funny because I was talking to um, Shayna, who's one of our other contributors, like three or four days before the trade happened, saying how, um, how disappointed I had been when Yamamoto went to um, the Oilers and Suzuki went to Vegas. And then, what do you know, two days later, and I was like, oh... Maybe I should be careful what I wish for. I I, I joked, you know, I, I don't think I've ever said that Bergevin is smart before. Uh, it's it was a joke, uh, you know. The, Bergevin has had his moments. You, you could hate some of the moves. Yeah, it's moment. no nobody gets to where he is by by luck. Um, and you can say that you know it's an old school mentality, but you know what? Uh, I'm like I'm just having fun. Um, yeah, you know, Mark Bergevin said that you know being a GM is hard. And it is. It is hard. You put me in that office and I'd fail miserably. Uh, there's going to be something that I'll miss, and it's not an easy job. Um, and you know what? Uh, obviously, Jeff Molson is is standing by him and going into the future, and that's that's fine too. You know, uh, he wasn't going to get fired for and and Julian Vriesbal was not going to come this season. You don't let uh, a guy start to rebuild and then one year and he's like, you know, what? we need a change. It doesn't know how it work, and it might not look great, but it doesn't make a difference. Um, it wasn't going to happen anyway in the short term. But uh, thank you guys both, uh, Scott Matla and, and Namiko uh, Hitotsubashi. Thank you for joining me, uh, remembering your, your Max Petra any moments. Um, the Twitter handles will be in the uh, the details. Uh, actually, you, know what? you guys go ahead and, and give your Twitter handles. Yeah, I was going to say, mine's pretty simple. It's just my name. I am at Scott Matla, M-A-T-L-A. You'll know it's me because I have a giant banner that says everyone disliked that in the background. So, uh. <laughs> and yeah, and mine's Freyawaru2020, which honestly, trust me, you're better off looking at the comments than me trying to spell it to you. But my name is too long to be a Twitter handle. So I was kind of. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, I'm Jared Book uh, at Jared Book. You can follow the podcast at Hapsent underscore minded. Uh, as well on Twitter, and obviously you follow the website as well uh, at HavesEyesOnThePrize.com. Thank you for listening to this special episode, and we'll be back later in the week with uh, some actual preseason hockey. It's close. Uh, You can can feel it. 
the the roster and schedule for camp is out. The best part about all of this is that we don't have to speculate anymore. Soon, all we have is hockey on the ice. Um, so thank you for listening. Uh, stay tuned every week for, for more episodes, and uh, we'll see you next time.